call to worship this morning is Psalm 131, a song of ascent of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Amen. Our scripture reading sets a little bit of a background for the imagery of Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. Our scripture reading is from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Prescott, can you lead us in prayer? What does it mean to be a good ruler, a good king, a good queen? We tend not to concern ourselves with such questions because we think of rule and authority as strictly political in our day and in our culture. That's the way we think of rule and authority, kings and queens, in terms of politics in our secular environment. We pick elected officials, for example, by watching political campaigns. And you notice that political campaigns really don't ask the deeper questions about what it means to be, in character, a good ruler. Well, if we pay attention to the detail in Scripture, we should learn something quite different about good rulers, about good kings, and about good queens. Actually, the Bible presents God's people as apolitical or separate from political kings and queens who rule under God. And I want to go to one particular text, I think, in the New Testament that shows this very, very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes to the church, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Peter uses that royalty image in his declaration of the church, a royal priesthood. And he understood that in his context as a true Israelite because Israel, the nation Israel, was to be a kingdom of royal priests, a nation of kings and priests who were called out to serve God. So they knew from the Old Testament what it meant to be good rulers, good kings, and good queens. Israel had experience, of course, with their own kings in their own history. And after the exile, where we are in Daniel, they had experience with Gentile kings, foreign kings, like Nebuchadnezzar, who manifested God's hand in their lives. Well, the basic characteristic that makes good rulers, good kings and good queens, is humility. Humility before God. It really doesn't matter if we look at Israel's kings and the record of First and Second Samuel's and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, or if we look at the other examples of the foreign kings such as Nebuchadnezzar and others. The basic requirements of being a good king or a good queen is consistently uniform. God sought rulers; He sought His people that served under His reign and rule, 
And that takes humility in any context, whether Jew or Gentile. So today we come to the conclusion of Daniel chapter 4 and the final chapter of what the Bible says about King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And as we've seen in the story of Daniel, God had chosen to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar and call him out as God's own king in a new world, in this new world that God was building. Solomon's temple in Jerusalem was doomed because of the corruption and sin of Judah. And so God began building a new temple in Babylon where God's people would serve him in a new way as new priests. God called his people out of Judah and into Babylon. And it's interesting because it kind of reverses the the history of Israel here for a second because Judah had become so corrupt that they had become Egypt. And the bondage that took place in Judah through the unrighteous rule of the kings had turned Judah, God's promised land, into another Egypt. And God was calling his people out of that Egypt through his prophets into Babylon where he was going to make a new world and reveal himself in a new way to Nebuchadnezzar and the entire Gentile world. God planned to do something very special in this new place in Babylon. Daniel and his three friends, of course, obeyed God's call and served God as priests in this new temple. They converted the king of Babylon to the true faith of Abraham and so representatively converted the entire kingdom of Babylon to God. And we've seen how Daniel is a lot like the story of Joseph because very much the same things happened with Joseph in Egypt and Pharaoh back in the book of Genesis. And so Daniel really is kind of a new Genesis, a new time period that was going to be initiated when God's people were going to go out and actually bring in the nations and expand the nations. We actually see stories that have to originate in Daniel come to fulfillment in the New Testament. For example, we have the wise men who came from the east. A lot of people don't talk about where the wise men would have got the prophecies to know when they saw the signs in the heavens to go and worship the king of the Jews. Well, I don't believe there's any other explanation than the time of Daniel and Daniel spreading the knowledge of God both to the Babylonians and later to the Persians that we have the origin of that story in the New Testament. So this is actually the beginning of something very interesting and very new. And I think we don't realize sometimes that in the New Testament the Gentiles had a background of the knowledge of God. Even the foreign Gentiles outside of Israel knew about this covenant faith that Daniel and his three friends brought to Babylon. I think sometimes we miss that and overlook how pervasive, how extremely wide this work that God did in Daniel's day had ripple effects all the way into the New Testament times. And we'll see how that works with Daniel because Daniel goes into prophecy about the kingdoms that lead up to the coming of Messiah later in the book of Daniel. We also saw how there are ten literary sections in the book of Daniel and these ten literary sections match the ten commandments given to Moses. And we see sort of the allusions and the uh, themes that are in these ten different literary sections of Daniel corresponding with the ten commandments. And so we're actually in Daniel chapter 4 right now and we're dealing with Nebuchadnezzar, his second dream, and Daniel 4 as as an entire section has an interesting relationship to the Sabbath command. Uh, The Sabbath command, of course, was God's call to rest from the works of your hands. And Israel had a specific form through which they would celebrate Sabbath. But the Sabbath command gets to the heart of what it means to be a good ruler. Sabbath is about humility. 
Its ultimate meaning can only be realized in our rest in Christ for salvation, and that is a lesson that Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had seen and witnessed a number of miracles from the hand of God, that was a lesson, the Sabbath lesson, is what Nebuchadnezzar still had to learn. But once Nebuchadnezzar learned the humility of Sabbath obedience, he goes on to write perhaps the most unique portion of our entire Old Testament. He writes a godly confession by a Gentile king of that entire world at the end of Daniel chapter 4. And it's a very unique passage in the Old Testament. I don't know of any other passage like it that it was written by a Gentile king over the entire world and as a proclamation of his faith in the one true God. So let's pick up where we left off in Daniel chapter 4 and see what makes for a good ruler because I believe that if we can understand the lessons here from the story of Nebuchadnezzar, we're actually going to understand gospel living better because really this is a lesson for the king and we are now all kings in the eternal kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar talks about. So let's go to Daniel chapter 4 and pick up, we'll actually go back a little bit to verse 24 and start with Daniel's interpretation of the dream. If you remember the dream was that that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of the great tree that provided shade for all the different beasts of the field and nesting plates for the birds of the air and Nebuchadnezzar's dream was that this tree was going to be cut down and the roots were going to be bound with iron bands. And so Daniel gives this interpretation, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree from the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue." All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar twelve months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live 